1: Satan loves to attack you. When you're coming down that mountaintop, when you've had that experience, it's just like the disciples when they were coming, Peter, James, and John, when they were coming down from the Mount Transfiguration. They got down to the bottom, and they couldn't do anything with this kid that was possessed. They couldn't do anything. See, Satan attacks you when you have that mountaintop experience. This is what's happening to David in this section.
0: Think of a memorable church camp when you were younger, or maybe a meaningful retreat with your church. These experiences leave their mark in a good way, but as Pastor Dave will warn in today's message, most of the Christian journey is not a mountaintop, and the enemy levels his worst at you right after those spiritual highs. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 21 as he begins his message, David Numbers the People.
1: Here we are in 1 Chronicles 21, and David has come off of a series of victories. He's come off a series of great victories, great army victories, great victories over the Philistines, over the Syrians, over the Ammonites. They finally conquered Reba, and the Philistine giants were destroyed. This was a high point for David. The nation was at peace, and, and things were going well. It had been victory after victory after victory. And all along, God was with David. God had guided David through all of these things, through each time, each victory God had provided for them. Because of this, David's fame soared throughout the earth. Everyone knew about David and how this living God was with him. As I said, he had won many victories for Israel with the help of the Lord. And after each victory, we have to understand. And after each mountaintop experience, we can be vulnerable to Satan's attack. You have a mountaintop experience. You may go on a missions trip. You you may go to a conference. You may have a wonderful time of Bible study. You may receive a healing. Things might happen in your life where you know the Lord's hand was with you and you see the Lord's hand guiding you and you, you know that for sure and you're so charged about that and you're so pumped up because he's been with you. Be careful. That's when Satan loves to attack you. When you're coming down that mountaintop, when you've had that experience. It's just like the disciples when they were coming, Peter, James, and John, when they were coming down from the Mount Transfiguration. They got down to the bottom and they couldn't do anything with this kid that was Possessed. They couldn't do anything. See, Satan attacks you when you have that mountaintop experience. This is what's happening to David in this section. This is what's happening now. And it's recorded here for us in, in First Chronicles 21. But we need to be ever vigilant. We need to be steadfast in our faith. Know that our enemy, as Peter says, is lurking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He's just looking for the weak ones, the ones who are limping, the ones who are struggling. Those are the ones he's going to come after. If you're strong in your faith and you're professing Jesus Christ and you're standing strong in your faith, he's probably not going to bother with you. But if you have doubt in your mind, if you are worried or if you're ill or something's going on in your life, be careful. Be careful because then he's going to hunt you down. You know, I always like it. to Go back to your your animal planet and watch all these shows. You never see the lions attacking the monster, strong animals. They sit there and wait until they see one limping. They see one limping or behind a little bit, or a small one. They go, ha-ha, here we go, dinner. That's what happens. That's what happens to us. Satan wanted to get to the nation because of their prosperity. He wanted to get to Israel because of their prosperity. So in his mind, if you attack the leader, Israel will go down. If you attack the leader... Everyone else will fall away. And this is what's happening right now. This is what happened right now. David falls for a trap that Satan basically lays out for him. David falls for this trap and succumbs to a sin, a great sin. Let's read verse 1 through 7. Now Satan moved or stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, The king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now, I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. What's interesting to me, and we've spoken about this before, is if you look at David and you look at things that if I was to ask you, name the most despicable thing David did... Chances are, most of you would say committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah killed. And you would be correct. That was despicable. That was low. But the Holy Spirit, as we mentioned before, never inspired the writer of the Chronicles to record that in his book. He doesn't record that. But does that lead me to believe? It leads me to believe that David's greatest sin against the Lord? Pride. The greatest sin that David committed against the Lord was pride. You know all the scriptures. All the scriptures that talk about pride going before the fall. God resists the proud. I mean, He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know all the scriptures. That pride is basically an abomination to God. A haughty look. He, he doesn't like that. It's really against him. Satan stood up against Israel. Now, it says that that Satan moved against Israel. And in in 2 Samuel, when we studied it, it basically said that that God was angry against Israel. And we're not really sure why God was angry against Israel, but he allowed Satan to come in and move against David. He allowed that. Anything that happens to us when we sin, God allows it. Everything is sifted through his hand, and God allows that. God permitting Satan to tempt David in order to accomplish God's purpose. God had a purpose. See, God has a purpose in everything. He used your sin to get him, get you to come to him. God has a purpose for everything. And here we see God having a purpose in David's life, even in the midst of the sin, to accomplish something that he wants done. And I think it's really interesting. So he, he allows Satan, you know, a la Job, you look at the Old Testament, there are several examples of when Satan has opposed God's people. And the ones that I came up with, obviously the easiest one would be Eve in the garden. And of course, Job. But Joshua, the high priest in Zechariah 3, was also tempted by Satan. And then you have David. But when we read this account, it boggles our mind to think that our enemy is directly responsible for impressing David's mind with this way we're thought of pride. Just because you're a child of God does not mean you carry around a huge bullseye on your back. Satan loves to shoot those fiery darts inside. He loves to shoot those fiery darts. What does that tell me? It tells me that you and I, Christian brothers and sisters, we need to be aware of his schemes. We need to be aware of his tricks and his bag of tricks. And you know what? He hasn't changed much in all his time. He really hasn't changed much. The apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 2:11, "Don't be ignorant of the schemes of the Satan." Don't be ignorant of these schemes, and the Greek word for schemes has a Greek meaning of a, of a mind, the word mind. What he's saying is, don't be ignorant of the of the Satan's ability to mess with your mind. Cuz quite frankly, this is where the majority of the battle is right here. This is where the battle is. He messes with your mind. What did he say to Eve? Has God really said He gives you this idea that you think is pretty good, that you think, well, that might be pretty good. It's got to be of the Lord, right? Well, not necessarily so. So he messes with our minds, and he even messes with our thought pattern. This is one of the reasons why Paul said to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to know God in that way. We need to renew our mind to the truth, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all that was in it, especially the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to renew our mind to what happened on that cross. Three words, it is finished. We need to renew our minds in that and be strong in that and know that nothing can come against you that God hasn't sifted in his hand. So David was probably basking in his victories. He was probably basking in his victories because he had won such great battles and Satan entices him and said, yo, David, let's just see how many guys you got. Let's see how big the kingdom is. You know, you need to have a big army because you know more people are coming against you. Let's let's see how big your fighting force is. Let's let's come on. Why don't you why not you count them? Why don't you count them? And David bought it hook, line, and sinker. He bought right into it, you know. And to, before you come real hard on David, <laughs> before you come real hard on David, think about yourself. I mean, come on, let's go. We got to apply this to our lives. We need to be careful because we too can take it, hook line and sinker. Now, in Exodus 30, in verses 11 through 16, in Exodus 30 in 11 through 16, let me read them real quick. There's nothing wrong with taking a census. There's not a thing wrong with taking a census. In Exodus 30, beginning in verse 16, 11, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. And when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Remember that. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. A half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 giras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone, including among those are numbered from 20 years old and above, shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall give not give more, and the poor shall not give less than a half a shekel. Then you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and you shall appoint it for service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. So there's nothing wrong with taking a census. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. A man 20 years and older was going to give money for the service of the tabernacle, to keep things going in the tabernacle. But David didn't number the people this way. This was not David's heart. His motive was prideful because he wanted to know how big of an army he could make. He was prideful and he wanted to know how big of an army he could make. I gotta love Joab. Now we read through Samuel Joab's a character. He's quite a character. Joab does some really questionable things and meets his match later. The Lord deals with Joab on a mighty basis. But Joab's a character. But guess what? He comes back at the king. He tells the king. He tells the king. So wait a minute. First of all, he says, may the Lord add to the people 100 times more. And that's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. But Joab came against again. It's funny that he would say that. You know, it's always a fight. When you have a study or when you're a pastor or a thing, numbers are always a fight. It's always a fight. How many people are here? How many people are there? How many people are coming? Ba-da, ba-da. And I firmly believe that it's not my job to worry how many people come. I think I told you the story about a Bible study I had one time in the old church back in the day uh, when we had the, the little church over there on, on, on Washington Boulevard. And there was only, uh, beside the worship team, which was Pastor Frank, me, and I think Dane was even there. I'm not sure. There was only like Beatrice and three other people in the church for the Bible study. And I got a little upset. I couldn't believe that there was not that many people in, in the church. I kind got, of got, I got, I got bitter towards the Lord. You know, like I'm he's, he's like, you know, I, started to get a little angry. And, and the Lord impressed upon my heart. And I, he, he impressed upon my heart, if you were all sitting around in your living room, you would be giving me praise because we would all fill up the living room. You see the, you see the analogy that he's trying to make. So we're not to worry about numbers. We're not to worry about who's here and who's not here. I'm not to worry about who comes to church and, and who joins the church and who comes to church. Read Acts 4, 2, 47. After they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine, in the breaking of bread, and in fellowship and prayer, and they did these things, they went house to house, and they had all things in common. Acts 2, 47 said, And the Lord added to the church daily those who would be saved. Thank you, Lord. It's not my job. It's not my job. But you know what? I can't tell you how many things each week I get in Facebook, in emails, in letters. Build your church. This is the way to do it. We, have a, we, we want to go out and we'll take a demographic survey of all the people, and then you can reach these people this way, that way. And over and over and over and over again, I'm like, are you kidding me? I have a way to build the church. It's called reading the Word of God. It's called studying the Word of God, line by line, verse upon verse. Why would I change? Why would I go away from that? Oh, well, that's old-fashioned, Dave. Excuse me? It's old-fashioned? What do you mean it's old-fashioned? You mean God's Word has changed? It's different now than it was back then? My goodness, of course it's not. Of course it's not. The Lord adds to the church the spontaneous growth of the Lord. It's what the Lord's business to add. Why? Because Zechariah put it best, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring people here. In my opinion, he brought all of you. And anybody else who comes to Calvary Chapel, Kate May, the Holy Spirit brings them too. We don't have a, 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 a drive, and I don't say, there's going to be a prize for the guy who brings the most people next week. Oh, come on. Come on. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us here. Whomsoever will may come. Come now. Come now. Jesus made us a promise that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that we would be his witnesses. And then when that happens, the Lord adds to the church. He adds to the church those who would be saved, those who would come in. It's the Lord's job, not my job. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to stand against the evil one, a stand against the devil. So David numbered the people. And in verse 7 it says, "Then God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he struck Israel. God strikes Israel. The things David did displeased God. Why? He was circumventing God. He was saying... I'll do these things my way, Lord. I'll take care of it. You can rest. I'm going to take care of this one. Don't ever circumvent the Lord. But something happened in David's heart. Something happened in David's heart. And you look at verse 8. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now, I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant for I have done very foolishly. In In 2 Samuel 24, We're told that David's heart condemned him. David's heart condemned him. David was a man after God's own heart, but he was not sinless. He was not sinless. And realizing his sin and the foolish pride, he confesses to the Lord. He confesses to the Lord, and it's interesting that the Hebrew word for condemned here is nakah, which is a severe word. It means to be attacked or assaulted, and it conveys the idea of being wounded or crippled. In other words, David was wounded in his heart when he realized what he did against God, and this is what sin should do to us. When we sin, when we make a mistake and sin against God, we should be crippled. Our heart should just pound us. We should just go, oh my goodness, what did I do? This is what happened to David deep inside his inner man. It was disturbed. And God's displeasure, he felt it. Oh, what did I do? I'm sorry, Lord. The good news, when that happens in our heart, we're on our way to recovery. If it doesn't happen in your heart, you need to go back to the Lord and find out why you're not quickened when you sin, why that doesn't happen. Instead of running from God, refusing to listen to the Holy Spirit, We should do what David did. We should run to God and confess. I've done this thing foolishly. I'm sorry. Have you ever experienced trouble with something in your spiritual walk with the Lord? If so, what have you done about it? If you're having trouble in your spiritual walk with the Lord, what have you done about it? Have you ignored the Spirit and kept running in the same direction when the Spirit's trying to say, No, turn back. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. Or have you just said, No, I got this. I can handle it. I can handle it. I'm bad. I can do it. No. No. We need to come to a dead stop and say, I was wrong. I sinned. And you need to call for what it is. It's sin. I made a mistake. No, you sinned. I made a fool pile. No, you sinned. Call it what it is and confess it. And they can be hard words to say, David's heart was troubled. David's heart was troubled. And he confesses his sin to the Lord. But, as we've said before, there are consequences for our sin. There are consequences for our sin. Let's look at 9 through 12. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose for yourself either three years of famine, three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else for three days the sword of the Lord the plague of the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what I answer, what answer I should take back to him who sent me. <laughs> David is faced with a choice. David had a choice to make. God gives him this choice. This is what's going to happen. And you look at this and you say, well, wait a minute. We know that when David sinned against Bathsheba and when David had her husband Uriah killed, that he suffered greatly for his sins. In fact, the rest of his life, he suffered greatly. We know that the baby that was born out of a wedlock died. We know that his sons came against him and there was sword never left the household of David. There was constant turmoil. We know about all the problems he had with his one son Absalom who tried to take his throne and all the difficulties he had there. We have to remember that when we sin, it affects others. Our sin can affect other people. God was holding David responsible for the sin, but look how it was going to affect Israel. Look how it was going to affect Israel. Our sin affects others. we got to be ever aware of that. Three choices. Seven years of famine? Oh. Three months before your enemies, while they pursue you? No way. I'm not to let those guys come near me. Three days of plague. Huh, some choice. Some choice. Look at verse 13. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Well, I guess so. I guess so. Please, let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but not let me fall into the hand of man. David says, I'm going to throw myself at the feet of the Lord and let him deal with me on the way that he wants to deal with me. He rules out being chased by his enemies because he knows what they could do to him if they catch him. He knew he did wrong. He knew he did. He sinned. And now he knows he has to have faced the consequences. I love this about David. I'm sorry, I do. I think this is one of the things that makes David blameless. He knew how to deal with his sin. He confessed it to the Lord. It didn't negate his circumstances. It didn't negate the consequences, but he confessed it, and the Lord forgave him. Remember after the the sin with Bathsheba. Remember when Nathan came to him about the sin of Bathsheba. What did Nathan tell him? The Lord heard your prayer and forgives you. David knew he was forgiven, but then the list of consequences. Oh, the Lord forgives your sin, but there are consequences. Some of them are harder than others, but there are consequences that we must deal with. David says, I can't do this. this. I'm distressed. He places his hands himself into the arms of God and lets God take care of him. I'd rather deal with the Lord than with man. I love that. And what do we see? We see a righteous and just God. You are assured.
0: In 1 Chronicles 28, we see David commissioning his son Solomon to build the house of the Lord. God had chosen Solomon for this work. In verse 20, David said to Solomon, Be strong and courageous, and do it, and do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Anytime we begin a work for the Lord, the enemy is looking to make us afraid or dismayed and discouraged. David knew Solomon would face obstacles, but he encouraged him with the truth that God is with him. And when you face obstacles, fear, and discouragement, God is with you too. We're so glad you decided to join us today. You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working through the book of First Chronicles, a book that is rich with stories of faith and courage. This is a series you won't want to miss. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or if you missed it and want to go back to it, head over to AssureHoperadio.com. Once again, that's AssureHoperadio.com. You'll find today's message and many others to encourage you along the way. If you find yourself in Cape May, New Jersey, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website. We'd love to meet you and spend more time learning together. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We loved spending time with you. See you next time for more on A Sure Hope.